Hi, I'm Mike Paul, and welcome to this podcast of articles from Ars Technica, a presentation of Airs LA, the audio internet reading service of Los Angeles. You're listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. We have five articles for you today. Our first article is by Tim DeChant, published on January 3rd, 2022. Twitter permanently suspends Marjorie Taylor Greene's account over COVID disinformation. Twitter permanently suspended the personal account of Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, a Republican of Georgia, yesterday, though her professional account remains active. Green had been an outspoken opponent of COVID-19 vaccines, routinely posting disinformation about the disease, the vaccines, and other health-related information. Her fifth strike on Twitter, yes, her fifth, came after she posted false claims about vaccine safety based on unverified raw data from the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, also known as VAERS. We've been clear that per our strike system for this policy, we will permanently suspend accounts for repeated violations of the policy, Katie Rossborough, a Twitter spokeswoman, said in a statement. Green posted about her suspension on Facebook, where she has about as many followers as her Twitter account had. The Silicon Valley cartel finally pulled the trigger, she wrote. Twitter has permanently suspended my account. Big tech is the enemy of free speech. We will not forget. Her words. She then suggested that people follow her on Telegram, an encrypted messaging platform that has around 600 million users. VAERS is a government-run database that accepts reports from healthcare providers and the public about any health issues that arise following a vaccination. If someone with congestive heart failure dies after receiving a vaccine, there's a decent chance that death will show up on the database. Does it mean that the vaccine killed a person? Of course not. Correlation does not equal causation. VAR says as much in a disclaimer about its data. While very important in monitoring vaccine safety, VAR's reports alone cannot be used to determine if a vaccine caused or contributed to an adverse event or illness. The reports may contain information that is incomplete, inaccurate, coincidental, or unverifiable. In large part, reports to VAR's are voluntary, which means they are subject to biases. Anti-vaccination organizations have even created their own filtered views of VAERS data to point to false and misleading pictures about the safety of vaccines. In fact, the COVID vaccines, and the mRNA versions in particular, are safe and effective. If there were significant problems that could affect a wide swath of the population, it's highly likely that we'd know by now. Adverse effects from COVID vaccines have historically occurred within eight weeks of a person receiving the shot. COVID vaccines have been administered to hundreds of millions of people for over a year now. Since anyone can submit a report to VAERS, there's potential for abuse. But according to the CDC, which manages the database, fraud seems to be rare. We don't have evidence that there is widespread fraud or gaming of the system. Tom Shimabukuro, deputy director of the CDC's Immunization Safety Office, told Science Magazine. Fake reports are removed, and anyone found to be submitting a false report can be criminally charged. Green's fourth strike in August brought a temporary suspension from Twitter after she falsely claimed that neither vaccines nor masks could reduce the transmission of COVID. 
Both masks and vaccines are effective at reducing the spread of the virus, of course. Our second article is by Eric Bengeman, published on December 22, 2021. AWS suffers third outage of the month. December has been a rough month for Amazon, at least for Amazon Web Services. The massively popular cloud computing platform suffered its third outage of the month Wednesday, affecting Slack, the Epic Games Store, and several other services. The AWS Service Health Dashboard shows that the problem lies within a data center in Northern Virginia and affects customers in the U.S. East 1 availability zone. The first outage was reported at 7.35 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Slack users began seeing problems shortly after the outage, and the Epic Games Store noted that the AWS outage was causing problems affecting logins, library, purchases, etc. AWS saw its first outage of the month on December 7th, which affected cryptocurrency, brokerage, and entertainment services. Coinbase recorded significant issues, as did streaming services Netflix and Disney+. The December 7th disruption also impacted Amazon itself, as sellers were unable to access the e-commerce giant's seller center to manage orders. The second outage on December 15th was in a West Coast data center. It affected services from the likes of Facebook, Slack, Hulu, and DoorDash. AWS's latest status update prior to publication at 11.02 a.m. Eastern says that the company is still working to resolve connectivity issues and is continuing to work on mitigating the networking impact for EC2 instances within the affected data center. Our third article is by Patrick McGee. The story originally appeared in the Financial Times and was republished to ours on January 3rd, 2022. Apple becomes first $3 trillion company after boost from pandemic demand. Apple has become the first company to hit a market capitalization of $3 trillion after its value rose by $1 trillion in less than 16 months as the coronavirus pandemic turbocharged big tech. The iPhone maker became a $1 trillion company in August 2018, and two years later became the first company to be valued at $2 trillion. On Monday, shares in the company rose by 3% to $182.86, taking it past the latest milestone before easing back to trade at $182. Apple briefly lost its title as the world's most valuable company to Microsoft at the end of October. However, a strong rally in November restored its crown. It then surged higher into the end of 2021 as it added half a trillion dollars to its market value since November 15th. Only a handful of companies are worth more than a trillion dollars, including Tesla and Amazon. Google parent Alphabet and oil group Saudi Aramco are valued at about $2 trillion, while Microsoft's market value is roughly $2.5 trillion. Apple's stock climbed more than 30% in 2021 as it deftly navigated the supply chain crisis and benefited from extra demand during the pandemic for iPhones, Macs, and iPads as customers upgraded their home offices. 
The stock jumped early in December after analysts at Morgan Stanley increased its 12-month price target to $200, arguing that investors had not yet priced in the expected launch of augmented and virtual reality devices. Moody's also upgraded Apple to AAA in December, making Apple only the third AAA company assessed by the rating agency, alongside Microsoft and Johnson & Johnson. S&P Global still rates Apple at AA+, one notch below AAA. Tom Forte, analyst at DA Davidson, said investor enthusiasm for Tesla and electric vehicles was also spilling over into Apple's stock, on the hopes that the iPhone maker will enter the car industry in the next few years. There has also been heavy activity around Apple in the derivative markets, as traders wagered that the stock would keep rising. Apple's market value has now grown by almost $2.7 trillion in a decade under Tim Cook's leadership, a feat that surprised critics who questioned his credentials after he took over from Steve Jobs. Cook's success has since been built on his behind-the-scenes ability to manage supply chains and sell products in huge numbers while warding off regulatory and political threats in Washington, Brussels, and Beijing. Cook was seen as a safe but rather conservative bet, said Ben Wood, chief analyst at CCS Insight. But what he's delivered is nothing short of astonishing. He has made the iPhone franchise the most lucrative item of consumer electronics in history. Morgan Stanley analyst Katie Huberty noted that Apple's stock price had increased about 500% over the past five years alone, outperforming the S&P 500, which had gained about 105% over the same period. As a result, Apple now trades at a historically high price-to-earnings ratio above 30, up from a three-year average of 23.4, according to D.A. Davidson. But few analysts believe the stock is in bubble territory. Of the 45 analysts who cover Apple, 35 rated a buy and two deem it a sell, according to Bloomberg. The bullish outlook reflects how Apple has been revalued by Wall Street to account for its ballooning, high-margin service business that has delivered recurring revenues and severed its dependence on iPhone replacement cycles. Apple, which earned more than a billion dollars of revenue in a day in the financial year that ended in September, now has 745 million paying subscribers to an ever-growing array of services, including music streaming, on-demand video and fitness, and warranty coverage. In the past year, its services business accounted for nearly $70 billion of revenue, double that of four years ago. In the previous quarter, margins at the unit reached a record high 70.5%, more than double the margin on hardware sales, according to Evercore ISI. Among the biggest risks to Apple and its stock price is that the pillars of the services business get upended by policy changes. Legislators in Washington have raised questions about the estimated $8 billion to $12 billion payment each year that Alphabet gives for having Google Search as the default on its devices, while others have targeted the Apple App Store's business model of taking a 15-30% to 30 cut on some transactions. So far, Apple has emerged relatively unscathed. In the U.S., Epic Games sued it last year for allegedly operating an illegal monopoly, but Epic lost on 9 of 10 counts. When Apple appealed the one loss, a higher court granted its request, 
and postponed the lower court's order to open up the App Store to rival payment platforms. Meanwhile, Apple has also diversified its hardware offerings substantially into AirPods, Apple Watches, and other accessories. Huberty noted that the market for wearables, like the Apple Watch, hardly existed in 2014, but now it's a $38 billion business, the size of a Fortune 120 company. Our fourth article is by Jonathan M. Gitlin, published on January 3rd, 2022. Hyundai stops engine development and reassigns engineers to electric vehicles. Last year was challenging for many reasons, but 2021 wasn't entirely bad. Despite the pandemic and the chip shortage, it was a great year for new battery electric vehicles. So much so that more than half of our top 10 drives of the year were BEVs. That's good for consumers looking for a new car, assuming they can find one in stock. End-of-year top 10 lists are extremely subjective, and no one should read too much into them. But if you want proof of the impending extinction of the internal combustion engine, consider this. On December 23rd, Hyundai Motor Group, parent company of Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis, shuttered its internal combustion engine research and development division, according to the Korea Economic Daily. Park Jung-Kuk, the new head of Hyundai's R&D efforts, explained in an email to Hyundai Motor Group employees that, Our own engine development is a great achievement, but we must change the system to create future innovation based on the great asset from the past. Instead of developing new gasoline or diesel-powered engines, the researchers and engineers will work on electric powertrains, an area where Hyundai is already extremely competitive. Previously, Volvo announced that it would also end its internal combustion engine development, but the company appears to be having its cake while still eating it. In 2021, it spun off its entire engine operation, including future R&D production, to a new joint venture with its parent company, Geely. I'm not the only one who sees the writing on the wall. Bloomberg envisions a potential crash in the residual value of more expensive gasoline cars, warning that, while there might still be a robust market for used Honda Accords in 2028, it will probably be a more tenuous market for used gasoline-powered $40,000 sedans and sport utility vehicles as people in that segment switch over to EVs. Our fifth and final article is by John Timmer, published on January 4th, 2022. Tracking Facebook connections between parent groups and vaccine misinformation. Misinformation about the pandemic and the health measures that are effective against SARS-CoV-2 has been a significant problem in the U.S. It's led to organized resistance against everything from mask use to vaccines and has undoubtedly ended up killing people. Plenty of factors have contributed to this surge of misinformation, but social media clearly helps enable its spread. While the companies behind major networks have taken some actions to limit the spread of misinformation, internal documents indicate that a lot more could be done. Taking more effective action, however, would benefit from more clearly identifying what the problems are, 
And to that end, a recent analysis of the network of vaccine misinformation provides information that might be helpful. It finds that most of the worst misinformation sources are probably too small to stand out as being in need of moderation. The analysis also shows that the pandemic has brought mainstream parenting groups noticeably closer to groups devoted to conspiracy theories. The researchers involved have an incredibly useful resource for performing this analysis. Shortly before the pandemic, they explored the Facebook networks that helped spread vaccine misinformation. They subsequently repeated their analysis after pandemic misinformation had spread widely. Their analysis was fairly simple. Simply check whether different groups had hit like for the landing page of another group. This is a relatively minor action, but it has a significant consequence. Any post by the liked group has a chance of showing up in the timeline of the group doing the liking. The exact frequency of a post's appearance will vary based on undisclosed features of Facebook's algorithms, but without that like, none of those posts would ever appear. To get a clear picture of the network formed by these likes, the researchers categorized the groups involved as being pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine, or neither. They then went in and labeled the interests of the neither groups, which could be focused on things like sports or diet. They then used software called Force Atlas 2 to provide a visual display of the network. The software would show network nodes, the individual Facebook groups, with the distances between them based on the strength of their connections. Any two groups that were connected would be closer to each other, with those that shared connections to the same group being even closer. As you might expect, this algorithm caused groups within shared interests to be pulled together into a cluster. The resulting network diagram, for example, shows clear clusters of pro- and anti-vaccine groups. Even in the pre-pandemic analysis, there were a couple of problematic trends. The first is that the pro-vaccine groups, while they have nearly twice as many members as the anti-vaxxers, tend to be off on their own. They're tightly clustered, indicating numerous connections among them. But there aren't a lot of strong connections with any other groups. This suggests that, to a large extent, vaccine advocates are talking with each other. Anti-vaccine groups also clustered together. But these groups were heavily connected with others most notably groups that are focused on parenting issues. In fact, the borders between parenting groups and the anti-vax community is very difficult to distinguish. So, what's changed with the pandemic? Many of the anti-vaccine groups expanded their advocacy into general misinformation about the pandemic. That's not a huge surprise, given how closely the pandemic and vaccines have been connected. But their relationship with parenting groups didn't change much over the course of the pandemic. What did change was that parenting groups became closer to those interested in alternatives to medicine, like homeopathy and spiritual healing. The homeopath and healer groups weren't explicitly anti-vaccine, although at best they have an awkward relationship with modern medicine. But the thing that concerned the researchers is that the alternative medical groups had many connections to groups devoted to more typical conspiracy theories and the misinformation that accompanies them. This included misinformation on things like climate change, the safety of water fluoridation, and the safety of 5G cellular service. 
A key mediator of this connection appears to be the anti-GMO groups, which have connections to alternative health and often think in conspiratorial terms. On the network graph, these connections draw parenting communities closer to conspiracy theorists, and many of the posts on alternative medicine that were shared with the parenting community ended up letting their comments devolve into arguments over various conspiracies. Facebook has attempted to moderate some of the misinformation it hosts. This typically takes the form of tagging posts with a message about where to find accurate information. And the researchers did find tags attached to posts made by some of the larger anti-vaccine groups. But they found that many of the smaller groups managed to evade Facebook's attention, perhaps because they simply weren't large enough for algorithms to rate them as a significant threat. Despite their size, however, these groups often had significant connections to groups with unrelated interests. Meanwhile, a look at the pages of some of the smaller groups show that they have backup plans in case Facebook ever gets serious about moderating them. The researchers found instances of groups directing their users to shift discussions to platforms such as Parler and Gab and Telegram. In an attempt to make moderation somewhat easier, the researchers go on to develop a mathematical model that describes the behavior they've seen. Their hope is that this would help spot the groups that pose the largest misinformation threat. With only one data set to test it on, however, its usefulness is unclear. In any case, the results the researchers find are concerning. Mainstream parenting communities on Facebook were subject to a powerful two-pronged misinformation machinery during the pandemic, they conclude. One prong involved their previous connections to anti-vaccine groups. As those expanded their focus to pandemic misinformation, parents ended up exposed to that as well. And thanks to a growing interest in alternative health, parents ended up being pulled into a world rife with conspiracy theories. Obviously, exposure to occasional posts on Facebook won't instantly change anyone's beliefs, but regular exposure to misinformation can have a cumulative impact, especially if it's accompanied by the impression that your peers express it. And so far, at least, Facebook's moderation doesn't appear to be capable of disrupting that. Well, that brings us to the end of today's articles. To find more about Airs LA and the types of programs we offer, follow us at facebook.com slash AirsLA. If you like what's there, please hit the like button. Music for this podcast is provided by Hot Fire. I'm Mike Paul, and I'll be back soon with more informative stories from Ars Technica. Thanks for listening.